friends, welcome back to the Ransomed Heart podcast here in the last week of January. So suddenly January's behind us and we are well on our way into 2020. With me this week, Alan Arnold. And back in the fall, I began introducing the podcast with a, a sort of a reminder. And it goes like this. This is a gnarly time to be a human being. The world, the hour that we're living in, the pressures. You know, every age has had its own suffering in this hour. Uh, we have hospitals, you know, we have help, we have fire departments and first responders, we have police forces. There's relative stability. You know, most of us are not fearing that us or half of our household will die of the plague or, or those sorts of things. However, because of the relative comforts of our age, I think we actually don't see the suffering of it, Alan. Yeah. And so when I say it's a gnarly time to be a human being, I'm referring to the pace of life that no one's enjoying. Right. I'm referring to the inundation of media coming at our attention, grabbing our attention and taking it hostage. The human soul was never meant to bear the heartaches of the world, but the heartaches of the world are delivered to us hour, hour by hour on our mobile devices. And if you're yes. plugged in in any way, you know, and it's, it's a combination of the, the madness of the pace, it's the combination of the technological blitz, the tsunami that we consider to be sort of just a normal consumption of information. It's, it's the heartache that's coming to us through that information. It's a kind of compassion fatigue that I think is particular, I want to say, to good-hearted people because we care and, and we want to intervene. Um, so many hurting people, so many people that we know even in our own communities, but then, you know, we are aware of so much more than our own communities these days. You know, the fires in Australia, the earthquakes in Puerto Rico, the latest shooting, the political scandals, the refugee crisis it is enough to break your heart. So there's a kind of compassion fatigue that right. goes with our moment. And that's what I mean by it's a gnarly time to be a human being. The second point that I've been making is, and God cares very much about your humanity. And we almost need to be reminded of that. <laughs> Because nothing in our world is saying, hey, hey, you ought to take care of your humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. Why are you chuckling? Well, I'm just chuckling because you're so right. And it, it just, the world is never going to invite us into soul care, a yeah. posture of soul care or or relief, the right kind of relief, yeah. restoration. And so when you say that, I just... I think about my last week and last month and, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a gnarly time to be a human being, and you need to know that. And that also has to do, I failed to mention, my goodness, um, with that collection, you know, there's the things in the seen world, but there's the things in the unseen world and the spiritual warfare and, and the level of trauma and heartache and awful darkness that that is unleashing in the world. So you have that as well. It's a very dark uh, very heated hour in the battle of good and evil. That's why it's gnarly. Your humanity matters to God. It's good to be reminded of that. 
in spite of the conditions, God is still very committed to the flourishing of your humanity. He cares about your heart. He cares about your life. He cares about your soul and wants to bring about restoration. And then the other two points I've been making is wholeheartedness is not an option. Maturity is not an option in this hour. Like we actually have to be very serious. Yes. And this is the essence of the introduction of a, of a new book I've written. I uh, want to tell you about it this week. want to start a conversation about a new book that's coming out in February called Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. And I don't, I don't think I need to convince you that the world's gone mad, but if you needed some convincing, there were a few things. But getting your life back... The introduction opens with this sentence. It says, there's a madness to our moment, and we need to name it for the lunacy it is, because it's taking our lives hostage. And then I go in to describe the blistering pace of life, the media tsunami, the fact that simply being exposed to so much information and, and heartbreaking information in part is traumatizing to the soul. There's actually all kinds of research to show that. but what I want to point out, what I want to talk a little bit about today, the hour that we're living in requires souls that are really strong and really well, wholeheartedness. Uh, it's not an option for this hour. Like, you need to be well, you need to be strong to handle the moment that we've been given to live, our, our lives, our call, our mission in this moment, loving and living and raising families and pursuing careers and, and finding and living out your calling, playing your part requires in this hour uh, souls that are well and souls that are strong. And the double mind is this, that the hour that we're living in is perfectly designed to keep that from happening. It, yeah, it is. Because this world assaults us in so many ways, and many of them are so frequent that I think we forget about it, John. Like we, we don't see it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we take a beating on a soul level and we don't really have a plan for what to do or how to do it. And, and oftentimes just take that as a new normal. Mm -hmm. Like, yep, I do feel pretty beat up, mm -hmm. but I'm better than him or her. <laughs> yeah. And so it's okay, I yeah, guess. Yeah, comparatively. That's good. Uh, we were praying about the podcast, as we always do when we start, and I felt like Jesus wanted me to ask you a question, our friends, our listeners. And the question went something like this, are you moving peacefully and joyfully through a life right now that you find enriching to your humanity? That's almost not fair to ask. I, I know, I know. So <laughs> let me repeat it. Are you moving peacefully? and joyfully through a life that you find enriching to your humanity. When was the last time you felt carefree, friends? How often do you feel lighthearted? Are you excited about the future? Are you looking forward to 2020? Are you happy most of the time, more often than not? And I, I give a confession. So this book, I never intended to write this book, by the way, but it comes out of a story, and I want to tell you the story. A couple years ago, I found myself flinching 
when friends would text and ask, hey, you know, you're free for lunch. You want to catch a phone call? You know, want to, want to get together? I'd love to hear. It wasn't welcome. It was, I would flinch. I, I'd open my inbox and, and I would, oh, I would flinch at the amount of email that, that had accumulated simply overnight. And then, you know, you quickly scroll through the, the subject heading and, and I would flinch again, need you know, I need this from you. I need that from you. So and so, can you? Have and I didn't. I didn't like that about myself. I had a shorter fuse in traffic. I felt numb to the news. I didn't want to listen to the news because I just didn't care anymore. And Stacy and I are grandparents now, as as you know. And uh, we are Mia and Poppy and darling little grandchildren. We have three year old, a two year old, a one year old. Another one on the way, and here's what I didn't like. I, I found myself, I could play with my grandchildren for about five minutes, and then I just couldn't handle the focus and the need there. I wanted to check my phone, check my email, look at my texts, you know, kind of see what was going on in the grown-up world. I actually was finding it difficult to be present to the people in my life. Wow. Stacy would be saying something to me in the morning in the kitchen and I was having a really difficult, I was already into my day. I was already gone, right? I was, <laughs> I was out the door and halfway to work. Yeah. And so there were these symptoms. I would come home more often than not really strung out, either spun up from the day and just wound or fried. Just uh, my soul felt thin, uh, like Bilbo says, like butter scraped over too much bread, mm. right? Yeah. And I didn't like it. And I noticed, I noticed these, so I'm, I'm describing a set of symptoms. This is my real life, and, and this was beginning a couple years ago. I love mountain biking. I hadn't mountain biked in six months, maybe more. You know, I love reading. I, I had stopped reading. I, I couldn't, like my brain couldn't give that kind of sustained attention to something mm. like a book. Right. I could read short things. I could read texts and, and you know, first paragraph of an email. <laughs> but if it was a long email or even a long text. Okay, I'm sharing these details because I think you might be recognizing some of them in your life. Shorter fuse in traffic, uh, less patience uh, for irritating people. And I was just letting go. I just want myself just letting go of things that I enjoy doing. I, I love taking an evening walk. And just 20 minutes in the evening, grab the dog, go for a walk, go right. by myself, stop doing that. And then there was the symptoms of turning to you know, all my medications, just binge watching European soccer or eating way too much chocolate or, you know, it's nicotine and caffeine to get me through the day. And I was turning to all of my comforters and I was giving up all these things that are life-giving, reading and walking and music and, and riding a bike and, you know, right. I was slowly letting go and I was justifying it to myself in this way. Well, I'm just too busy. Right, my life is demanding. I, there's a lot to do, and so all of the things, all of the things that enrich my humanity, all the things that make for being a human being, I was letting go, and I was just, I was asking myself, really looking back on it now, to live at the pace of a smartphone, you know, just, just being able to process information quickly and and handle ridiculous amounts of information and requests, that sort of thing. Okay, yeah. those were the symptoms, and I didn't like it. And then uh, someone recommended to me Nicholas Carr's book, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. 
And I was drawn to it immediately because of the title, The Shallows, because I'm like, that's it, doggone it. Like, I feel shallow. Huh. And I, I know the soul is not shallow. The soul is deep and rich and, you know, it's the soul that's capable of symphonies and acts of heroic courage yes. and humility and kindness. And Okay, so I'm just describing these symptoms and, you know, I pick up Nicholas Carr's book and he's talking about how the internet is literally reshaping the structure of our brains so that we can't pay attention to anything very long. Not only reading a book, but human beings and, and everything else that we care about. And I'm like, it's this thing about the shallows. And then, then I made this huge epiphany because I had been praying through this time and I was doing all the things that I typically do is doing the daily prayer and, and more, you know, mm -hmm. prayer in my day. I was practicing, you know, warfare against the things that were assaulting my heart, and that sort of thing. But my soul, my soul was feeling really besieged, hard pressed, pushed into a corner. Okay. Can you relate to that? Totally. Okay. Totally. I see the nod. Yes. Okay. My soul was feeling besieged, hard-pressed, pushed into a corner. And here was the revelation. I was reading something in Lewis where he said, the soul is but a vessel that God fills, a hollow. He calls it a hollow that God fills. And I realized this, that I was crying out to God for more of God. It was one of my constant prayers. I just need more of you, Lord. Mm. Jesus, I need more of you to help me through these very demanding times. And I want to be involved in people's lives and people, you know, in crisis and need. And I just didn't have a lot to offer. I need more of you, Lord. I need more of you. I want, I want to enjoy my summer. I, want, I need more of you. And I couldn't receive him. And here's the big idea. Here's the double bind is your soul is the vessel that God fills. But if your soul is not well, you can't receive the grace that God is extending. It's like the desert. The ground gets so hard that when the rain does come, the rain it so desperately needs, it just bounces off. Like it, it can't, you know, it's mm -hmm, the reason mm -hmm. for flash floods in the desert or, you know, or a big thing right. is because it just, it just washes right off. When the soul is besieged, fried, hardened, backed into a corner, shallowed, you know, shrunk like a raisin, not like a big juicy grape, okay? <laughs> I felt like a raisin. Okay. You actually can't receive God. You can't receive the grace that God is giving. And you're like, oh, no, 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 come on. You know, you just pray, you just worship. God will overcome all that. And I'm telling you, no, no, you don't understand. Like, your soul is the means by which you receive love and words and encouragement. It's the means by which you receive living water. It's the, his very presence. So if your soul is not well, it, it can't. It can't receive the grace, and that's the double bind. So I began, I began a search. I began looking for those things that would heal my soul. I began studying the soul. I began reading on it. I began, and you know, obviously I spent you know forty years in this, but you know, I was digging deeper, and mm -hmm. I began some personal practices um, that would bring about the restoration of my soul in partnership with God so that I could receive more of God, so that I could get my life back. And with it, presence and, yes. and relationship and intimacy with people, loving my grandkids, biking again, and just all those gifts that God has for us, right? Yes. The joy, the beauty, the goodness. And 
and I knew it had to begin with, my soul is not able to receive yet, so I, I need to bring about restoring the soul through the graces God is giving so that then I can receive more of God. I want more of God. And it worked, I'm glad to tell you. Um, I mean, I was really close to quitting. I was really close to quitting Ransomed Heart and it's going to quit writing and all that. I'm very glad to tell you that that uh, didn't happen and I'm better and obviously because I'm <laughs> releasing a new book. So I wrote a book. But this was the book. I, I This actually wasn't the next book in my quiver. It wasn't the next thing I intended on writing. But but after getting into this, I, I saw it in everyone else. Everyone else I knew, our entire team, yes. Stacy, everyone. Yeah. I'm like, no, this is the hour we're living in. This is our common suffering. Right. And there is a way out. And so I wanted to put that in book form. And that's what Get Your Life Back is. And uh, here we are. Yeah. I, John, this is, to me, Get Your Life Back truly is one of the most essential, important books that I've read. You know, there's so many other books that you've done. Yet this one, to me, if I met somebody for the first time, it would probably be the, the first book I would give them. Huh of any of the books, because as you said, you have to start there. If your soul is shutting down and weary, you're not going to have space to even fill it with anything. Yes. And so it's so pivotal too, because it's not a heavy read. It's not a hard process to go through. You have given these practices that are really simple that you can do on a daily basis. And it's not like trying to run a marathon. You don't have to build up to it over a year to be able to succeed. It's it's beautiful how you can just step into these simple practices that have a huge impact on not just how your day goes, but how your life goes. You, you do get your life back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's part of the fruit of it. So we lost our dear Oban two years ago, well, a year and a half ago, so... And I'm like, I'm done. That's our golden retriever. And I'm like, I'm done. I, I don't want to. It's such a heartbreak to lose a dog that you love. And, and then the good news is we have a new puppy. <laughs> His name is Coulter. <laughs> He's an adorable golden retriever puppy. But that's like a symptom of humanity, like the shutting down. I don't want any more dogs. I don't want, I don't need more relationship. I don't, I don't want to join another group. I, I'm done. I'm done. It's that pushed into a corner thing. So Coulter, like all of our other golden retrievers, has an affinity for grabbing shoes and running out the front door with them. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but he, you know, he grabs my shoe, one, and takes off out the front door. And if I don't see him doing it, he drops it somewhere in the yard. He doesn't destroy it. He just drops it somewhere out there. Well, it's winter in Colorado, so the time I recover that shoe, <laughs> it's months. It is a block of ice, all right. And uh, the the thing is, I, I bring the shoe in, I try and put it on, I can't because it's shrunk and it's hard, and this laces are brittle. I got to thaw my shoe out. <laughs> I have the other one. I have the pair. I have the partner. Yeah. Uh, but I got to thaw the you know the missing shoe out. That's like your soul. That's kind of what I'm describing, like. You know, to receive all the other goodness that God is giving, the happiness, the joy, the things you love to do, to recover, you know, your love of music or running again or whatever it is, yeah. you first got to thaw the soul out if it's hardened, if it's been blasted by this world. And so what I say in the introduction is this, and so it follows. 
that if we can receive help for restoring and renewing our weary, besieged souls, we'll enjoy the fruits, which are many and wonderful, of happy souls, and also be able to receive more of God, which is even more wonderful. We'll find the vibrancy and the resiliency we crave as human beings, living waters welling up from deep within. Okay, But the process needs to be accessible and sustainable. We've all tried exercise, diets, Bible study programs that began with Vim and Verve. By the way, how are those January programs going, friends? <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> January is the number one month for gym membership sales. And, yep. and they knock off by February. You know, Gyms are empty by March. Okay, so we've all tried it. Um, but over time, they get shoved to the side, lost in the chaos, okay? So what I go on to say is, um, rest assured, the graces I'm offering in this book are within the reach of a normal life. I think you'll find them simple, sustainable, and refreshing. God wants to strengthen and renew your soul, friends. Jesus longs to give you more of himself, okay? You can get your life back. You can. The world may be harsh, but God is gentle. He knows what your life is like. What we need to do is put ourselves in places that allow us to receive his help. Let me show you how. That's the introduction or parts of it. And then I go into a variety of chapters, each one dedicated to a certain grace or gift or practice or help. And we're going to talk about those over the next um, four episodes of the yes. podcast. So we're going to cherry pick and give you some of the gold uh, right here on the on the podcast, and and also uh, just to let you know right now, there is a there's a fabulous pre-order campaign going on right now. If you order the book, you can get access to the first couple chapters. You can get uh, some of the audio book right away, and then there's some exclusive video content, one hour live session of me teaching on benevolent detachment, which is one of the graces in the book. Um, if you go to JohnEldridge.com. Right. It just takes you straight to the link to do that. So there's there's some pretty cool things in that. But Alan, if you were to pick one of the graces, what would you pick? I, I asked you ahead of time, um, right. knowing we were coming into this, let's not try and cover everything. Just pick one thing. What, of all the graces in the book, which one, which one did you pick? Well, the, it was hard because there's so many. There's so many graces, and listeners are going to hear about a lot of those, as you say. But... For me, John, the, the big one that had the most impact and still every day has an impact is from the chapter called Simple Unplugging, and it's about technology. And technology, um, you know, this is such a—it's one of those topics where when I bring this up with friends, you can tell immediately vroom, defenses come up yep. and they kind of lean back a little bit. Because everybody has this relationship with technology, and, and I think they know, I knew, that technology has a bigger hold on me than I wanted it to. And, and primarily for me, it was through my phone. Mm. And it was something that was just always with me. And, and you know, they make the phone, uh, Apple is really smart, and they make the phone to where you need it or think you need it for almost everything. So it's your alarm clock, and it's how you take pictures, and it's your map for how to get around town, and it's for email, and it's for social media, and 
And, you know, the ironic thing is very little of it is actually for a phone. <laughs> like we call it the phone, but it's really this huge, you know, access to everything in the world in our pocket. Yeah. And, and so as I went into that chapter, um, the things I'm going to share a little bit from what you wrote, but it was this eye-opening moment for me of, I don't want to live like this anymore. It has too much of a hold on me. And I started to pay attention to how much time I was spending on the phone. And, you know, you can track that throughout the day through one of the apps. Yeah. And uh, it it was a couple of hours a day when you added it all up oh, for yeah. me. That was between email and it's late at night and I'm just going to check one thing. And 30 minutes later, I'm answering the 17th email or it's getting caught on some mindless stream of news and media that that you won't even remember the next morning, but you're going through it and it's distracting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's taking up some of your time. So mm. I started paying attention to this and realized it has a hold on me and is not a healthy, it's, it's not a healthy thing for my soul. Mm. It's not bringing me life. And yet I feel like there is no option. Okay. So let's be kind because I know as soon as you bring up the technology I thing- know. All the defenses about, and the other thing is, everybody's talking about this. Um, but what I want to offer some kindness. Um, first off, very few people, myself included, live in neighborhoods of rich community anymore. I was just looking at our neighborhood the other week, and I, I hardly know anything of what's going on in any of those houses. You know, it, this isn't rural. America or even, you know, rural world of of 100 years ago where your friends are down the street, your family's across the street, people are grilling, people are playing music, you know, you you get home in the evening and you can just go have something to, you know, to drink and chat with your friends and enjoy rich connection. We don't have rich connection. Let's just be honest. Okay. So I understand the longing for connection and there's a place for social media. You know, many of us, our families live out of state or or literally across the world and uh, our friends aren't even close by. Um, Pictures, checking in, that kind of thing. I get it. I get it. So this isn't just, ooh, that's bad. Stop it. Okay. That's not the spirit of this. What I was fascinated with, Alan, was I did the same thing. You know, I w- I w- I'm just going to check it for a minute. And then 30 <laughs> minutes later, I'm still on. Why? I just looked at my own soul and said, my soul, uh, what are you looking for? That's good. And what I was aware of for me was connection. I, I don't feel very connected to very many people because of the nature of the hour we live in. Everybody's running fast and has so much to do and yada, yada, and, and people live, you know, states away. And, and so I'm longing for connection. And so there's a grace to that, friends. But, but the problem is, you know, the, all the research that's pouring in, not only is the internet changing the structure of your brain, so it is literally conditioning you now not to be able to pay attention to anything for more than a few moments. Mm-hmm. Like, that's serious stuff, because you're talking about paying attention to people that you love. But how about paying attention to God, right? right. I even found my right. prayers were getting shallow. My ability to give God my attention was getting shallow. And, you know, and then the data showing the rise of anxiety disorders and depression 
in direct correlation to the amount of time spent on social media. So I get the longing for connection. It's good. We're not saying turn off all media. No. But we are saying, is this improving your humanity? Is this enriching your soul's ability to be human? Right. Well, there's an awful lot of data that says no. So how can we how can we begin to kindly, gently, without dramatic measures, you know, just be a little bit more reasonable about how plugged in we are? Right. And and the first step I think is awareness, like you just said. It's paying attention, it's understanding this thing that we've gotten very comfortable and used to spending a lot of our day with. I mean, the first way it struck me, John, was I started to notice when Kelly, my wife, and I would go to a restaurant or a buddy, and we'd be in a restaurant, and if if they would get up to go to the restroom or go refill their drink or whatever, what's the first thing right. everybody does? What I would do, reach back, pull out the phone, yep. and I, I literally could not sit there for 30 seconds or two minutes Without having this device. And right? Like, what? Like, we literally don't know what to do with 30 seconds anymore. Right. And, it, and yeah. Alan, this is church. Y- you know, I whip, out my, I whip out my phone if there's a down moment, right? You're waiting right. in the narthex or it, things haven't started yet or, you know, let's be honest, if you're a little bored. It's <laughs> right. amazing how we'll pull it out. We'll pull it out anywhere. Right. And it's not necessarily, I don't believe anymore, to be productive. It's not because we have to catch what the latest news blurb is. It's it's we don't know what to do with silence or downtime. We don't know how to just breathe anymore, pay attention to the surroundings. Okay, so John, I just want to pause here for a minute to read about one page from your book, because I think this section nails it so well the issue, the problem, and and the pervasiveness of it. The section in this chapter is called In Love with Distraction. And in this, you're talking about how you and Stacy were celebrating your 35th wedding anniversary and you were on a trip to Hawaii and how beautiful it is. So you've described the beauty of this place. And, you, and now I'm going to pick up with what you've written. This isn't your tourist Hawaii. Apart from Princeville, the North Shore is way laid back. And after you cross a couple one-lane bridges, you feel you really could be on the outskirts of Eden. Sitting on a quiet beach there, with no one to our right or left, for more than 200 yards of pristine white sand, it was so luscious, I expected Adam and Eve to go strolling by any moment. Now, you'd think this would be enough to delight, enchant, and soothe any soul. But as I took a stroll down the beach myself, I passed a guy sitting under a banyan tree watching videos on his iPhone. Wow. You can't unplug from your technology, even in paradise? Now, to be fair, I bet this is what happened. He had his phone with him, because everybody always has their phone with them, and somebody texted him a funny YouTube video, and he couldn't resist the urge, and that was that. He was glued to a little artificial screen, watching some cat sit on a toilet, When all around him was beauty beyond description, the very beauty his soul needed, and filling that beauty and coming through it, the presence of God. And I saw myself in that guy, because I too had brought my phone with me to the beach, and I too responded when that little chirp alerted me to an incoming text. We always have our excuses. Every addict does. 
I was keeping myself available to my children. Every notification got my attention because it triggered the brain's learned response to check out what news had just come in. Neo was never so totally and completely trapped in the matrix. And so, John, one of the things after reading this chapter that I did on my phone is I took off email, I took off access to the internet, so Safari or Chrome, whatever people have, I I took that off. Um, I took off my apps that were social media apps, so there's no Facebook, there's no Twitter. And what I've discovered is without all those things, now really all I have it, I have a, a phone that can do text and help me with directions and have a camera. Yeah, take some photos. And that's it. And now the sexiness, like all of this appeal is gone. So I, I don't have a reason to pull it out of my pocket or to look at it for distraction because it's, it's really boring now, but it's back to what it should be. Buddy, I am cracking up because right now— People listening to you are like, no way, no way, no way. Like I could just hear, I could, you can hear it. Like you are a freak oh, yeah. in this culture, right? You just announced that you are wearing a camel hair coat, <laughs> you know, and eating locusts and wild honey. Like I would have been so mad to have heard this six months or a year ago because my phone was my way to stay constant, get things done, make it happen. And honestly, hours of my day were being spent and wasted through a lot of that. But John, what I found is when I tell a lot of friends this, I'll go, you know, I could do that too, but I don't need to. I can just set my phone aside. I don't, I don't have to go that extreme. Yeah. And I'm not telling people to go that extreme. I'm just saying my experience has been when the phone has those distractions you will stay in the distractions. It's really hard to to not lose hours. And here's the cool thing. The hours I have gotten back in each day, now I'm reading books again. And I have hundreds of books in my home that I have bought over the years and want to read. And they're on a shelf. And I think about it when I see them. Mm. and And I just have never gotten to them. And in the last probably three, four months, I've gotten through about a book a week. Mm. And and if you take the year before that, it might have been two books the whole year. Yes. And so I'm finding space for my soul to be calm, for me to breathe. And, and it's not just through change in technology. But you said in the book, you've got a great quote where you say, Technology, where most people live their lives, is draining. And then you talk about how nature and in other ways we can care for our soul is healing. And so we have to reduce one if we're going to increase the other. Yeah. And for me, the reduction of technology has given me so many benefits. And yet I still get done what I need to. Um, yeah. you know, it, but it's just been a very healing process. Yeah. Yeah. I forget what the figure is, but the amount of time that Americans, um, spend watching videos on their phone, right. I think it's like three hours a day. Right. Okay. That's not 
essential stuff. We're not talking about life-saving measures here or, no, I'm using it to get across town to get to an important meeting. You know, it's all the distraction stuff. And I love the way you put it. If we clear a little bit of room, we can read again. We can paint again. We can listen to some music. We can be present. Stacy and I, the other night, we're just enjoying playing cribbage together. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, pair for two, a pair for four, yeah. But we would never have done that in the last 10 years because technology was in the way. We'd have, we'd have been in the same room, but we would have both been on some screen, laptops, phones, yeah. media. And when you when you cut back, it's interesting because you, you can then watch, like if you don't pull your phone out at a restaurant when others do, or if you don't at home get, you know, kind of lost in that, then you're more present and you start to realize how unpresent other people can be mm. because of that. Mm. And it's not a judgmental thing, but it's it's almost, I find myself wanting to invite people to yes. man, put it down, yes. set it down yes. for an yes. hour, turn it off at mealtime. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So bingo. So let's go to the heart of it because as you practice those things, you start getting your ability to be present back. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And gang, this includes your ability to be present to God. And this is where the gold is. It is, you know, when I, the Shallows, Cars book, I'm like, that's it. That's me. I'm distracted. And and he goes into, um, you know, his initial research was anecdotal. He just started talking to a lot of bookish people, PhDs, uh, um, research people, uh, academics, and they were all admitting they couldn't read books anymore. Mm-hmm. And these are people who make their living in the realm right. of books and research and yes. teaching. And okay. So, um, I'm like, no, I want my attention back. I want my soul back. Like, you can't do that to me has been my reaction to the world. Like, no, this is a war. Right. And you can't have my soul. You can't, you can't destroy my attention so that I can't play with my grandchildren. So here's the cool thing is I have begun to fight back for my ability to give things my attention, including playing with my grandchildren, which is going great, and being present to people. Alan, the real gold is God. Like I can be present to God for much longer periods of time. I can sit and be with God. I can hear from him words that I desperately need, questions that I need answering. Right. I can hear him more clearly. He's bringing to me some really incredible things from the kingdom of heaven, riches yes. that I would not have had because I was just flip, 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 swipe, 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 you know, like, like, like. I was, I was living at that pace right. with God. And so the riches, the beautiful things that he's been showing Stacy and I, simply because we're we're fighting back, taking our attention back, taking our ability to be present back and giving it to God. Oh my goodness. It's like, oh, there's there's the fount of living waters. Oh, there's the connection. Right. Uh, just just to kind of close the loop to come back to my longing for connections, good. Mm-hmm. Our longing for connection is good. Right. God is the connection we are ultimately looking for. I am the vine, you are the branches. The reason that you're feeling so disconnected is you need to be reconnected to me in such rich and satisfying ways that you're good, you're well, you are well. Oh, friends, so much more to share, but I just feel like 
even in kindness to you right now, that's a lot. That's enough. We've given you a lot to think about. JohnEldridge.com will get you to the page where you can do the pre-order if you're interested and get the, the video teaching and immediate access to some chapters and some of the audio book. We're going to be back over the next several weeks just unpacking some of these ideas. And the whole spirit of this, as you'll hear next time, is kindness. This isn't pressure. This isn't guilt. This isn't, oh, you know, you're just one of those now who's completely taken out by the world. No, it's a gnarly time to be a human being. It really is. Mm -hmm. God cares about your humanity. He really does. Wholeheartedness is not an option. Maturity is not an option. If you would navigate these times and come out one of those who are thriving, not, not just surviving. So there you are, friends. Great to be with you this week. Look forward to the next conversation.